1: Well, it's such a privilege to be here this morning. My first time in Kansas, and I've learned so much already just spending the day with Pastor Mark, what a great church this is. It's a remarkable story. I hope you, hope you realize what you got here. And uh, just to thank God for Pastor Mark and for his friendship, your encouragement, and all the staff, all the team, all the volunteers, uh, we appreciate you so much. have got a lot to learn from you. And uh, send greetings from New Hope. New Hope's also a great church. They say that our North Campus is the most diverse campus in Atlanta, and it uh, looks very similar to this. And uh, over the weekend, we've had about 1,600 students uh, through Friday, Saturday, Saturday, uh, praising God all the from from all the different uh, churches in the community, giving God praise, and we got Johnny Hunt uh, preaching. and uh, You know Johnny Hunt very well. I believe he's preaching for us uh, this morning as well. So I'm very thankful for that. So we send you our greetings. You know Mark and I were texting each other on Thanksgiving Day, and the Lord just seemed to uh, put one another on our hearts. And it, it was that day that we agreed we were going to do a, a pulpit swap. And so Mark is coming to preach for us in May. So thank you for releasing him for that day. And I'm here today, and I said right from the start, I'd love to share about the Welsh revival. I've read about 25 books on it and preached in so many of the places where that revival took place and taken mission trips, I'll tell you about that story, Um, but I've never actually kind of just given a whole message on the revival itself. Uh, Of course, we're going to open God's Word, and I'd love it if you can turn to Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, if you want to swipe or just listen, uh, we're founded like New Spring on what God has to say to us through His Word, so Matthew 7 is going to be our text, and I'm going to speak about that, I'm going to tell a story and hopefully encourage you this morning. Is that okay, everyone? So uh, Matthew 7, verse 13, it's towards the end of the greatest sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount. And these are the words of Jesus. And uh, Jesus said some uh, wonderfully loving things. He also, because he loves us, said some wonderfully challenging things as well, because that's for our good to hear these things. And so uh, here we go. Matthew seven thirteen. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. I don't know that so many at New Spring new, use the New Living Version. I don't know if you know, but that word broad way uh, in the New Living Version is a highway to hell. And there's a song about that, isn't it? Uh, isn't there? And I think they sing that way too enthusiastically because <laughs> it's kind of a, quite a serious thing and I, I believe that there is such a thing. Verse 14, Jesus goes on, And this is the encouragement, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And then he goes on, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And I'll refer to that a little later. You know, when we think of false prophets, we tend to think of them in the religious world. And that's certainly always going to be the case. We've got to be discerning about what goes on in the religious world. But let me tell you, there are plenty of false prophets, maybe many more, in the secular world today as well we need to think about. But I'm going to Get on to verse 21 now. Jesus says, again, some very challenging words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will tell them plainly I never knew you. away. From me, you evil doers. So may God speak to us through His Word today. Well, yes, my name is Reese. It's the name of a Welsh warrior prince, which I think is pretty cool. I know it's a lady's name in America, and there's also this kind of a Reese's Pieces thing going on as well. Um, So I. You know, if I'm in Starbucks, I say Reese as in Reese's Pieces, and of course, they're spelling it all wrong, but it actually means enthusiasm or passionate. And I was named after my grandfather, Ronnie Reese Morris, who was a well-known rugby player in Wales and also in England as well. He was like the quarterback for Wales, so I wanted to play for Wales. I was seven years old when I discovered kind of, a, of my grandfather's fame, and he took me under his wing. He was a small man, only five foot four, but he was stocky and fast and a, a skillful player. And anyway, he was a dear dear friend to me and my great encourager. When I was 14 years old, I became a Christian, even though none of my family went to church at all, Uh, just no one went. And so up till that point, I guess my God was sports. I know in Kansas, you're pretty good at sports these days, a lot of sports, well done. Uh, in Atlanta, we're good at losing a lot of sports right now, and, uh, but everyone's still sports crazy in Atlanta as well. And that was me, it was cricket, it was rugby, it was soccer, it was golf. And then a punk rocker told me, and actually he answered a question I've been asking for a long time. He told me something really important. He said that I needed to become a Christian, and I thought that was weird because, you know, I thought I was a Christian because I was British. And... <laughs> And then, But he explained why Jesus died on the cross. And I remember, I'd always ask as a boy, I'd been fascinated with Jesus on the cross. I knew that was something very, very special. I knew that he was something special. I kind of revered him, but I didn't know him. And I used to ask people, well, why did Jesus die on the cross? And people would say, well, he died for us. Well, that didn't really answer my question. I mean, that's true he died for us, but they didn't explain why he died for us. And so Al the punk rocker told me that I was headed on that broad way that leads to destruction that Jesus told us about, he explained that I was actually, because I was a sinner, separated from God, I could not go to heaven because my sins had separated me from God and so I couldn't go to heaven because I would spoil it and he explained to me that therefore I was going to hell. I was on a highway to hell and I knew that was right. I knew there was something wrong. I don't think I was any worse than my friends but I knew it was true and he showed me the Bible truths there and so like for one minute of my life I thought, I'm headed to forever and ever without God. And that doesn't sound good, and that doesn't sound good like living with that. And it wasn't fear, but it was just knowing that I needed to be right with God. And so I asked Jesus into my life, There and then, November the 28th, 1978, it was the greatest thing that happened to me. It was a total surprise. I still can't quite get over the fact that God took hold of me, and I'm following Jesus. But if you know Christ in your life, and if you know he's made a difference in your life, would you give God praise right now, everyone? Should we give him praise and thank him for his love? Um. It just so happened at the time that I went along to a local Baptist church. I didn't even know it was a Baptist church. I just went along, and uh, the pastor there was was an incredible pastor, and he encouraged me to be part of the church. And um, but something um, terrible happened exactly one month later. uh, November, November the 28th was when I came to the Lord. On December the 28th, my father took his life. And I tell you something though, the people of the church were phenomenal, and I knew this was my family. And the miracle is, just as I was about to lose my earthly father, I gained a heavenly father. And so, of course, I miss my dad. Of course, I think about my dad. And of course, my heart goes out to those who are struggling. And I will say, suicide is never the answer. It only just, what it does is, it doesn't end the pain. It passes on the pain to somebody else. And if anyone's listening, you're desperate right now. I encourage you to hang in there, get some help. Uh, But Jesus Christ... Trudy is the answer for every one of us. I went to theological college in London, that's where I met my wife Louise, she's incredible. Um, and we didn't have any money, so we just used to walk around that great city and kind of look at stuff. We'd go in the stores, and we'd just look. We did go and see U2 in concert for five bucks. We went and see this little band. There were just a few people there, about less people than there are here right now, and so we occasionally saw the odd concert, but we could see in that city that so many, the vast majority of the, of the great city of London were on a Broadway that leads to destruction, but we were still seeing that there were a few taking a narrow road and walking that narrow road that leads to life. Now there's something about Wales, and I promise I'd share that story with you, Quite a bit later, 1994, we started leading missions to Wales because my heart just burst for that place. My grandfather had since died. I just knew I was supposed to do something for Wales, and someone prophesied over me. I don't know if you believe in that kind of stuff, but someone prophesied that I would never live in Wales, but I would do more for Wales from outside of Wales. And strangely, that prophecy seems to be coming true. But I want to tell you about the Welsh Revival. I want to take you back in time to 1904. Very, very different world. But it said, before every great move of God, Things are always desperate. There's always a spiritually depressed time. Things are usually going wrong in a nation. There's a rise of godlessness, a rise of immorality, and modern thought pushes out God. Does that sound familiar, everyone? The young people were caught up with what the the writers of the time described as entertainment and pleasure. The things of God carried little interest. The old folks become hard and cold to the things of God. Church gets stuck in tradition. The Bible loses its its appeal and the love of many grows cold. But there are usually, therefore, a few folks that feel burdened about this and start gathering together and they pray. Secularism rises in the land. And this is what was happening in Wales in 1904. Politics was starting to replace the church as the unions, that, that most of Wales was heavy industry, mines, Uh, 250,000 men were underground at any one point in Wales as the Welsh coal basically fueled the British Navy, which fueled the British Empire. So they were proud of that, they were political, they were unionized, they were strong uh, together, and so the things of God seemed to matter less and less. A young man called Evan Roberts, who was a miner, and he became a miner because his father was injured underground, so Evan tried to help his father from the age of 12 years old. 12 hour shifts, six days a week, he would be down in the mines. But Evan Roberts would take time to pray, And even when he got home exhausted, he would pray, and then for 12 years, he prayed for a revival. He came to a powerful experience of God and a complete surrender to Jesus. In fact, the cross of Christ always seemed to be in front of the life of Evan Roberts. His prayer life was remarkable, and if he had a weakness, he prayed so much that people thought he was crazy, but I don't believe that he was. Evan's home church, first of all, came alive. Mariah Chapel in a place called Lacha, which if you don't know is near Llenely. You have to take your teeth out to to speak Welsh. Um, (laughs) But a a heaven-sent revival, I can only explain it, a sovereign work of God broke into the youth group. There were just 15 of them. doesn't matter how big you are. But if there's enough, if there's 15 people praying, that can make a difference. And so they started seeking God. They started confessing their sins. They started forgiving one another. They started repenting and putting things right in their life. They almost lost sense of time. So for a few weeks, there's a little localized re- revival based around uh, Mariah Chapel, and then words started getting out. The newspaper got hold of that something very strange was happening and more and more people were coming and gathering together. Now God had told Evan Roberts that 100,000 people were gonna be saved. I mean, he's in a youth group of 15. God told him that 100,000 souls would be saved and he was to go on mission. So he, had, he got an invitation from a church 30 miles away. It's a place called Tricunin. I know it very, very well. I've walked and prayer, walked that area very, very often and um, their their preacher had dropped out. So they invited Evan Roberts to come. They didn't know what they were letting themselves in for. Evan showed up, they'd been ministering almost day and night. He showed up with a group called the Singing Sisters. Didn't we have the Singing Sisters this morning? And weren't weren't they wonderful in their passion leading worship today? Um, Well, there were five of the singing sisters, but two of them came along with Evan that morning, and they were kind of in their crumpled Downton Abbey dresses, and Evan with his uh, Edwardian suit, so they kind of scared the congregation a little bit. And before the service even started, they went into the congregation and started telling them what God was doing in Wales, that a mighty revival was coming to Wales. People didn't know what to think of it. They were cold at first, and this is what one eyewitness tells about that morning. A strange stillness fell upon the people like the quiet before an electric storm. It soon broke when one of the proudest members of that assembly fell on her knees in agonizing prayer and unrestrainedly confessed her sins, creating consternation among the other proud, self-satisfied, respectable members. Others followed rapidly and with such spontaneity as to cause bewilderment. That service continued without a break all day, no lunch. All the worshipers apparently were oblivious to every physical discomfort as Mr. Roberts reiterated the cry, obey, obey, obey the Holy Spirit. By the way, this was known as a singing revival. The people sang. They already knew the hymns. And all the songs that we know, it's like the men, especially started singing. And it would spontaneously break out. And even though it might seem... There was no order of service. It might have seemed strange to to a visitor. It was as if the Holy Spirit was literally orchestrating the entire congregation. Soon the entire neighborhood seemed to have assembled in this next place. There were eight churches within four or 500 yards. Every one of those churches was soon filled. People were gathering in the streets. They were trying to get inside. Uh, A friend of mine, a member of Bryn Zion called Paul, showed me where men had been so convicted of sin that they had to hold on to the pillars of the church. I actually took a photograph. We might even be able to put it on on the screen the next few seconds as well. But men literally would would kind of hold on to to this, this pillar because they were overwhelmed with a powerful sense of God's presence. There was nothing casual about the worship at that point. And this is what Dave Matthews, who wrote the book I Saw, The Welsh Revival, said. When I left the heavenly atmosphere... Of the church to go home, I discovered that it was five in the morning. I'd been in the house of God for 10 hours. Don't worry, I won't keep you. we got another service to go. <laughs> he said, they passed by like 10 minutes. I discovered on the outside of the church that there were hundreds of people patiently standing, waiting in the chilly November air. They'd been there all night, hoping somehow for an opportunity to get inside God's house. Words began to spread, and soon this was breaking out all over Wales. In fact, it didn't matter where Evan Roberts was, Wales is a place of towns and villages. Just three valley, villages, sorry, three valleys that we minister in has 140 towns and villages. We've ministered to about 60 of those. So it's a place with lots and lots of small places. They say that every village and every town was affected by the revival uh, within a month. Infidels, the South Wales Daily News. This is secular reporting saying, infidels were converted, drunkards, thieves, and gamblers saved. Many thousands reclaimed. Confessions of awful sins were heard on every side and everywhere. Old debts were remembered and paid. Crime almost vanished. And the message was very simple. Bend yourself, bend yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself Believe the message of the cross and let Pentecost come to your heart. Look to Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit. Confess anything doubtful in your life. Obey every prompting of the Spirit. Don't be ashamed to confess Christ. Pray for your friends. And throughout that time, Evan Roberts maintained an exhausting pace and somehow he was seen as the fountainhead of the, rev- of the revival. Reporters would follow him all over the land and it was said that he became... That year of 1904 and into 1905, he became the most famous man in the world. When he went to Rue, and I have to say the Welsh have got the best place names of all, but when Evan was in Rue, I could take you to the place where he was staying. There would be thousands of people in the streets just hoping that he would pass by. Um, They knew that he wasn't Jesus, but they sensed the presence of Christ in him. And when he walked through the town, people have told me that people would literally put their hands on their shoulders just to touch him because they knew that he was a man of God. May God give us men of God in these days. Now, many credible people, Campbell Morgan, pastor of Westminster Chapel, F.B. Mayer, great London pastor, they would come and they, they confirmed this was the true hand of God. All of Wales was soon in ferment. And the Western Mail, the paper, newspaper that still exists, the, the big newspaper of Wales today, they stopped reporting the sports scores. And by the way, Wales is sports crazy. They stopped reporting the, the sporting news, and they started reporting the conversions in the churches. They would go through the towns, and it would be like Troy de Rue, 400, Treharis, 1,200, uh, My Steak, 2,000, and just extraordinary numbers in each town and village had turned to the Lord. And so in four months, the newspapers themselves chronicled how many were saved. Within four months, 100,000 people had given their lives to Christ. Can we give God praise for that story, everybody? <laughs> praise his name. And I know, and I tell this story because there are two things in our minds usually. The first one is, well, what happened, and, and was it a good thing? secondly how about us it's not even how about me I think we truly ask how about America how about Kansas how about Wichita how about how about my community I think those are important questions to have in the back of our minds Well, what happened well Evan was a a young man he was usually right in his spiritual judgment I believe he was the real deal he wasn't married so he didn't have a wife to come home to him who would say Evan you've got to slow down boy Uh, that's what a, a good Welsh woman would say and so he probably went way too fast, way too hard. He was a servant, he, was, he would agonize. If there was a lost soul in the congregation and there were usually some, he would, he would feel it. He could feel just one lost person in the con- congregation. He'd go to the front and he would, he would agonize for an hour till someone came through. On that first night in Treconan, an atheist came along to try and mess with the meeting. And it, he was in the balcony, nothing against those in the balcony in the expensive seats right now. Um, <laughs> But he was in the balcony, and he wanted to mess with the meeting, so he started shouting out, I want to ask a question. I want to ask a question. And then he tried to, I mean, the crowd, you couldn't get down easily like we could hear. He finally, after about 45 minutes, broke through the crowd, and the story goes, as soon as his feet hit the floor in that Brinzion church he was instantly saved. He he came under conviction of sin and then gave his life to the Lord. I mean, something extraordinary was taking place. And so uh, this was marvelous. Uh, All these things were taking place and Evan would agonize over each soul. So I think it wore him out. He kind of almost had an exhaustive collapse. So by 1906, 100,000 souls were gathered in. Evan Roberts gave the rest of his life to intercessory prayer. And who cannot say that that was his most effective Period of his life, because during that time a great missionary movement was taking place across the across the world. So the revival did wane. Was it wasted? Well, first let me apply the word of God to us this morning by first of all saying, in revival we see the clarity of the narrow way, verse 13 and verse 14 in our reading. In revival, somehow we see clearer than ever that many are on a broad way that leads to destruction. And we have to turn off and take the narrow way. I need to say something about the narrow way. It's not a narrow-minded way. It's not a negative way or a traditional way. But sadly, that's what the church in Wales has often become. And sometimes that's what we become as well. The narrow way is a glorious way. And in revival, we see the beauty of entering through the narrow gate and walking the narrow way. In revival, that's where we want to be. We're not envious of our friends who are so-called having a good time, even though it's really a destructive time. Time on the Broadway. In revival, we see so clearly the narrow way is the best way. What a beautiful, glorious way it is to know Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name uh, the name of Jesus is. And when revival comes to your heart, when it comes to a church, community, and nation, everybody wants to get off the Broadway and onto the narrow way. And if you're thankful for the narrow way, would you praise God one more time, everybody? The way of Jesus. So in that revival, people were saying, I must bring my friend to the meeting. I must bring my friend along to church. And and people would bring a prayer request. Can you pray for my brother? Can you pray for my husband? He's he's in the pub all the time. He's drunk all the time. And and she's praying for the husband. She doesn't realize that he's on the other side of the building and he's already repenting of his sins. Um, And so I thank God for those 100,000 souls that came to know him. In revival, secondly, we must be discerning about those that minister to us. Revival is not an excuse just to follow the latest Pied Piper. Revival's not an excuse just to believe whatever we want to believe and do whatever we want to do because it's, you know, it's like the spirit, right? No, no. In revival, there's a holy discipline where the people of God get right with God and we find unity. When we get right with him, when we're rightly aligned with God, strangely, Christian unity breaks out as well. And there's something disciplined self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so even in revival, we do need self-control. God works through our emotions, but it's also making sure that we believe according to his word. So Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. And I'll say again, I think most of the false prophets today are secular. Who are the ones that teach us at the universities? We got some great people teaching us in universities. We call them professors. Professors, they profess something. The big lie of Secularism is that secularists are neutral and people who are not secularists are somehow biased. We're all biased. We all profess something and so we always need to be discerning about worldview and what a biblical worldview and what a biblical worldview isn't. So was Evan the real deal? Listen to this quote. Reporters dogged his footsteps. Night and day, inquisitive newspapermen watched every movement, sending each uttered statement to the ends of the earth. God alone enabled him to endure the publicity. So I do believe that uh, there was a discernment in the Welsh revival. And how about this, about how the people stayed on track. By the good hand of God upon us, we were mercifully delivered from the unwelcoming ministrations of cranks, propagating pet theories that would have produced confusion. It was the undemonstrative voice of the Holy Spirit quietly influencing conduct, turning thought into new channels, producing instantaneous results that no other power could have accomplished. And so thirdly, in revival, we must be discerning about those that minister. We need to stay on track. There has to be that holy reverence for the things of God. Thirdly, in revival, and finally, the question is asked of the genuineness of our faith in possibly the most disturbing, challenging thing that Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And the next verse tells us it's not even about uh, our power over demons. It's, It's not being able to prophesy. That's not the test. The real test is, do I do the will of God? Am I obedient to him? I do believe that as we come towards the end of our life, There's the possibility of really facing up to eternity and seeing that we desperately need to get right with God because we don't want to enter eternity with anything between us and God. Uh, We don't just want to have like a deathbed conversion or a deathbed repentance. We'd love to have been living the life on the beautiful narrow way before we meet the Lord. I believe in revival, you don't even need to get to the end of your life. In revival, it's a terrible thing. We just kind of see our own spiritual condition We see whether or not we're all out for Jesus, sold out for Christ, or whether we're just kind of going through the motions. Um, In the book of Isaiah, and by the way, I still say Isaiah. You know what I'm talking about? I know you'd say Isaiah. Is that right? So uh, maybe I'll say it properly someday. Um, But in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah is like the greatest spiritual man in the nation, and then he gets a vision of God in all his splendor in heaven. And how does this super spiritual man feel? You might think, I'm just such a spiritual man because I got to see the Lord, but he goes, woe is me. In other words, I'm a a terrible man. The most spiritual man in Israel, when he sees God as God is, goes, I'm I'm just undone. I've got a filthy mouth. When, When revival comes, it's a terrible thing. We start to, we almost hear what we're saying in the spiritual realm, in the presence of God. And the very things that we think, the things that we think, the things we do, start to be seen in the light of the glory and power of God. And so when revival comes, it's a wonderful thing. A lady who had once been in the Hebridean revival in 1948, and the last great revival that took place in Britain, it wasn't even on the mainland, it's on a remote Scottish island, she said, everyone was so enthusiastic, she said. Everyone was so enthusiastic, but she also said, and it was terrible It was awful because we were broken before God and we couldn't carry on the way that we were and we had to repent and get everything right in our lives. And so Matthew 7 tells us about revival. Okay, here's the question. What what happened and and was it worth it? Well, first of all, of the 100,000 souls that were saved, uh, it was said that the vast majority of them carried on until they died following Jesus Christ walking the narrow way. isn't that, That's a great story. That doesn't always happen. But they stayed faithful to the Lord. And that's important. Secondly, secondly if you know your history, you'll know what happened within a decade. 1914, 1918, the Great War. Um, over 900,000 Brits died in that terrible war. 40,000 of them from Wales. It was said that the vast majority of the converts in the Welsh Revival were the young men. And so many of them died in the trenches of Belgium in the Battle of the Somme and the like from 1914 to 1918. And so, so many of them came to know the Lord just in time, able to live a Christian life for 10 years, and then they perished. Maybe I relate to that. I got saved just in time, because one month later, my dad was gonna die. And they got saved just in time, because 10 years later, many of them were gonna give their lives. And so God is gracious. Thirdly, the gospel spread To other places. W.T. Stead was a great London journalist. He actually died in 1912. He went down with the Titanic. But he was the main chronicler of the Welsh Revival. He spent a week there, spent few days with Evan Roberts, and so he kind of declared to the London papers, this is the real deal. So people, because of the credibility of this, they started coming from all over the world. They came from America, they came from Russia, they came from India, and so people came, but also missionaries went as well. Many Welsh missionaries went to Korea, and do you know something about that? The Koreans count the Welsh revival as the fountainhead of the church in Korea, and you may know this already, but Korea is now the greatest missionary sending nation, South Korea, I should say, is the greatest missionary-sending nation in the entire world. They send more missionaries than we do in America, and that should challenge us to think about that very hard, I'm sure. But nonetheless, they would say it was the Welsh Revival, and so many Koreans are now going back to Wales and saying, "We, there's something about the heritage there. And so um, I also want to tell you this. So I'm reading about the Welsh Revival, and what a glorious thing it is. I'm thinking, well, how come that the the Valley... Um, 90,000 people. I saw a a census in 2002. Uh, Only 600 people go to church in the Rhondda Valley out of 90,000. You work out the percentages. Most of them are old, so probably now most of those folks have died as well. And that was the kind of thing that I was seeing in Wales. My pastor took me on a tour of one of the Welsh Valleys and showed me all the churches that are closed. You know all these beautiful churches that we have? The Rhondda Valley was known as the most church place in human history, More church than we are, but we've got a church on every corner here as we've been driving around, beautiful churches like this. And um, basically most of them are closed. And the young people had nothing to do with church. And so we started, we realized there was a resistance to the things of God because the church hardened up. The church became all about tradition and religion, kind of were known as being mean and grumpy and hypocritical. And so the, the ordinary people were just put off it. So we went back. We found out that anybody about 14 years younger didn't have that negative story. Everybody else did. So the last 26 years we've been going back, so we now found that anybody under the age of 40 doesn't have a negative story, but they're hearing the story of Jesus for the first time. And I thank God that we've been able to share the gospel with 130,000 people uh, these last 26 years. About 3,000 have given their lives to Christ. Um, We've been able to share a lot of of the gospel in the schools in Wales. I can take you to a place called Neath. I know it's a funny-sounding name, Neath. And um, the the church, when we first went to the church St. David's, the church was packed, about 600 people there. People were stood outside, and it was raining. And you know something, we we gave the invitation, 58 people gave their lives to Christ, and it was said that 20 of them were stood outside in the rain when they gave their lives to the Lord. We went back to Bryn Zion a few years ago. We'd been praying to go there for a long time. The church had dwindled to 35 people. The the New Hope Gospel Choir, we've done 110 concerts in Wales. Uh, Wales is the land of song. They, They love the gospel being sung. We kind of bring a black gospel style with some incredible vocalists. Canton Jones has been with us, John Waller. I don't know if you know John, who did the song While I'm Waiting. He's sung in Wales for us a lot as well. And uh, they loved it. And um, that night in Brinzion, 42 people gave their lives to the Lord. And now that church, the last two or three years, has grown to over 150 people, and they're seeing a move of God. Can we give God praise for that one as well, everybody? Um, And then... Here's how God winks at you. This one is, it might might seem really weird, but I kind of maintained this passion for Welsh rugby. I I get saved. Is it wrong to still be passionate about something that you're passionate about? I believe that if we surrender that passion to the Lord, he may not take it away. We have to, to let it die in one sense, and in many ways it did, but God kind of restored something. And so I found myself being able to minister in rugby clubs, we were at a rugby club called Anna Sabul. Um, um, they made me an honorary member. And uh, we were with Canton Jones. My daughter Megan was singing backing vocals for him. We gave the invitation. It was a small crowd, 30 or 40 men. Every single man, put their, and almost none of them would go to church. Every single man put their hand up to receive Christ. And, uh, and then God opened doors to the national team. And that's a story in itself. I'm just amazed how God has um, enabled. I just started, basically, I prayed for every member of the team since 1991. And if you pray, God will often open doors. If, I often say prayer takes you there. And um, so I've spent about 18 days with the national team uh, the last couple of years. And uh, we actually made the World Cup semi-finals. We were number one in the world last year. We didn't win, lost narrowly to South Africa. But it's not about the score, right? Uh, it's all about being involved. But um, this one is really crazy as well. Wales were playing South Africa in Washington, D.C. And I thought... God sometimes gives you these crazy ideas. Pastor Mark operates like this all the time. I thought, wouldn't it be really cool if, if I could take the Welsh team on like an official visit to the White House? So by the grace of God, we had an official invitation from the White House the day before the game and uh, managed to link up with the manager of the Welsh Rugby Union. So my daughter and I, um, we were riding on the team bus we're driving into the White House, I'm thinking, Lord, you do some really amazing things, and we all had our pictures on the South Lawn, and sometimes just God winks at you, you know what I'm saying, and those doors just have stayed open, and I give him all the glory, and I don't know how it happened, except if I had tried manufacturing it, it would never have happened, but sometimes just God does amazing things, and he, you pray, and he'll open the doors, you have gotta walk through the doors, and so you never know where the next revival is gonna come from, but those national heroes, um, I'm not telling you they're all following Jesus, but I think they know at least one Christian who, who prays for them and tells them every time he sees them, I'm proud of you and I'm praying for you. So I give God all the glory for what he's done. I, I thank God for, for the revival. I pray that a revival will come to Wales, that there'll be a mighty move of the spirit whereby people reject secularism and turn to Jesus. But you know something? It makes you want to pray the same thing for Atlanta, for Kansas, for the whole world. We need a move of God. I mean, these are crazy times that we're living in. Do you agree with me? Say yes, Reese, if you agree. Would you put your hands up if you say, we really need a move of God in our time? We certainly do, don't we? Can I, can I just pray for us right now? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've spent together. Lord, what an amazing congregation. And Lord, you have done wonderful reviving things. You are doing wonderful reviving things through New Spring Church, Lord, the sphere of influence is remarkable. Thank you, Lord, for the stories that are often not even told, not even known. But just thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing here. And Father, yet we also see that the the ordinary man and woman, boy and, and girl in the land is increasingly influenced by thought that is not of you. That's part of the broad way that leads to destruction. And we pray, Lord, that as many as possible in this time We'll find the narrow way that leads to life. And even tonight, Lord, even this afternoon, even this morning, Lord, whether someone's watching online or catching up with the, the podcast or, or watching on TV, we pray, Heavenly Father, that many souls will turn to you, and even this day. And friends, as we're just praying, I wanna encourage you to pray the prayer that I prayed when that punk rocker told me about Jesus. I'm gonna pray that prayer. I just encourage you to echo this prayer in your heart right now. We call it the sinner's prayer. Here we go. Echo this. Dear Father, I'm sorry that I've gone my own way. I'm sorry that I've been on the broad way. Lord, I know the destination is not good. Please forgive me of my sins. Show me the narrow way. Show me Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose again. And I pray, Lord, that you will be alive in my heart from this point forward. Help me to follow you with all my heart. Fill me with your spirit And help me to love walking the narrow way. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give God praise for those who have responded today. Let's praise His name. Hallelujah.
0: Hey, did you appreciate my friend Reese Stinner this morning being here at New Spring Church? So, just please stay where you are for a few more seconds. Two things. Number one, if you just prayed with Reese and invited Jesus Christ into your life, we have a gift for you, and there's no string. There, there, there are no. Uh, No one's going to hassle you or bother you in any way, but we want to give you a gift box that we've prepared. It has a Bible in it, a book I wrote that will answer some questions, and just some other cool stuff. So all you have to do is go to any info center all over the campus and just say, I prayed with Reese. And uh, no one will hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number. They just want to give you this. The second thing is, would you just pray for me, please? Uh, I get on a flight early tomorrow morning to fly to Atlanta to train hundreds of pastors and so I just, uh, I want to make sure that I invest in them what God has invested in, in me and through us as a church. And uh, so, you know, to have that opportunity that I didn't seek, it just came to me. I have, again, I'll, I'll be training hundreds of pastors really in two sessions back to back this coming week. And so just pray that God will give me the wisdom to know how to speak. Because, you know, if we can influence ministries all around the world through what god has taught us and what god is doing in us we may just see a revival breakout in the united states of america so would you pray for me please as i go forward this week that i'll do a good job for the lord thank you and i hope you have a wonderful week we'll see you this next week did you hear what reese said that it's all right to pray for our sports teams if you give them to the lord I'm sitting over there thinking the devil has had the Dallas Cowboys long enough. (laughs) I am processing that. Thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.